0: The BBC is interrupting its normal programmes to bring you
2: an important announcement.
3: There's never been a monarch like Queen Elizabeth II before and I very much doubt that there'll be a monarch who exhibits her extraordinary restraint and self-control again.
0: Here in London, the crowd's gathering. They've been gathering all afternoon since the initial statement from Buckingham Palace concerning the Queen's deteriorating health was announced. So I think
2: the Queen is going to be pretty unique in history. It's very unlikely they will have such a a long reign ever again.
1: This is BBC News from London. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon.
3: Queen Elizabeth II was the most extraordinary role model for a nation. She handled the enormous weight of responsibility with incredible grace. She showed enormous dedication to her job, a lifelong job, and she exhibited almost superhuman levels of self-control at all times. And I think that made her truly the most extraordinary role model for Britons and it's almost impossible to think of anyone who could take over that role.
0: Welcome to The Firm, Blood, Lies and Royal Succession. My name is Dylan Howard, the executive producer. As you know, Throughout the series, we have investigated 500 years of royal secrets, scandals and constitutional crises. But for this very special edition, we're going to instead celebrate the life and mourn the death of Britain's longest-serving reigning monarch, Elizabeth II.
1: it's really sad because she has been and was the only sovereign that this country has ever known and not just the united kingdom but the 15 realms of which she was head of state the 54 nations of the commonwealth which she dedicated her entire life's work to this woman was the builder she was the architect of the commonwealth of nations as we know it and she fought for those people. She fought for these 54 individual countries. So it's not just us here in the United Kingdom that are going to suffer and feel this effect. The Commonwealth, and to the greater extent, the entire world will go into mourning. London Bridge is down and it is a sad, sad day.
4: The Queen, she was a comfort to people, uh, universally loved. Not just for her role, but she became this pop culture icon. I can't tell you how many television shows I turn on, and there's the Queen. I think this is a huge loss to not only the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth, it's a huge loss to the world.
0: The girl who would become Queen Elizabeth II was born on April 21, 1926, the first child of Albert, Duke of York, and his wife, Elizabeth. And as we've heard in an earlier episode, neither she nor her father ever expected to succeed to the throne. But on December 11, 1936, in a move very unprecedented in the history of the monarchy, Elizabeth's uncle, Edward VIII, abdicated, and Albert became king, taking the title George VI. The official line was that Edward gave up the throne in order to marry American divorcee, Wallace Simpson. But as we discovered, the truth was somewhat different. Here's the royal biographer and author of Traitor King, The Scandalous Exile of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Andrew Loney
1: The abdication, of course, has always been presented as the king being forced to choose between the throne and his love of Wallace. The reality, actually, is that he was manoeuvred out of being king because he was totally unsuitable, he was actually pro-Nazi, and there was no way that they were the authorities, that the, the men in the white coats or whatever behind the scenes were going to allow that, and Wallace was the pretext to, to basically push him out.
0: Elizabeth's father was to reign for a little over 15 years, steering his country safely through World War II until, in February 1952, he died, and his daughter became queen. It was to be the beginning of an extraordinary reign. Royal commentator Kinsey Schofield explains.
4: You have got to remember that this was a young woman who was not born into this position. This was thrust upon her, thanks to the abdication of her uncle, so she went from this young woman who had you know, was just playing with dolls and you know, loving on her sister and had a privileged life but certainly did not have the responsibility that she inevitably inherited and you know i think that that's how we'll remember queen elizabeth is this woman that inherited a very difficult role and went all out she really made it her life A life of selfless service. It's the most admirable role.
0: A life of selfless service. For more than 70 years, Elizabeth II dedicated herself to her role as monarch, but also as servant. Thomas Mace Archer Mills, the founder of the British Monarchist Society, explains, part of her enormous appeal was the quiet constancy she brought to being the queen.
1: Back in 1952, when Her Majesty became Queen, society was very different, respect was very different. Society today doesn't have the amount of respect for positions of authority and positions of of not so much power, but of example. And that's what the Queen was to us for over 70 years, she set an example. She was the constant, she was duty, she was the personification of what we should all strive to be. And we've lost that along the way. But Her Majesty always kept that example for us. And this is the travesty in her loss. And coming from what she did in the early days of the 1950s to now where she's left us in the beginning of the 2020s, we don't understand anymore. We don't know what it's like to have somebody to show us the way, to act and, and put in front of us these examples of social graces, of niceties, how we respect each other, how we respect ourselves. Society has lost that, and, and we've also lost a great example in the loss of this great woman, because everything that's right is what she has emulated over the last 70 years for us.
2: That crispy fish, that savoury tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
3: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As other royals fell victim to the temptations and pitfalls that wealth and privilege can bring, most notably, her sister Margaret and her second son, Andrew, Elizabeth somehow remained free of any whiff of impropriety. His royal commentator Aloise Parker.
3: It's extraordinary to see such a long reign be so free of controversy. I think that she's going to go down in history as a truly exceptional monarch for her lack of scandal and her enormously high approval rating. We haven't just lost a a family matriarch, we've lost a matriarch for the entire nation. I think the depth of grief that the entire country is feeling can't be overestimated at this point. That
0: dedication to duty,
3: above all else, came at some
1: personal cost. Her Majesty was somebody who always put duty first. And she will be remembered for that steadfast duty. Duty to the crown, ensuring that the crown survives. Ensuring that she did everything that she could to make sure that she left the crown in a better position than when she inherited it.
4: The queen putting the crown before her family, I just don't think there was ever an alternative for Queen Elizabeth. This was her destiny. She sacrificed a lot for this role and I don't think that there was ever an option to switch hats. It was just, I am Queen Elizabeth, I'm going to make this tough decision because this is my job.
1: And she did forsake a lot of her own person, family time. Everything she wanted as a private individual played second fiddle to the needs and what the crown actually is and what it actually needed to survive.
4: And I don't think that we see that type of discipline and dedication in the world today.
1: And that's what she will be remembered for. She will be remembered for duty and service above all else.
0: This life of service was made all the more remarkable by the sheer number of royal scandals that occurred under Elizabeth's watch, From Princess Margaret's X-rated activities in the Caribbean island of Mystique, to the disastrous marriage and messy divorce of heir to the throne and now King, Prince Charles. From the tragic death of Princess Diana and the public outrage that gripped the nation afterwards to Prince Andrew's associations with billionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein and his recent settlement with accuser Virginia Giuffre, From grandson, Prince Harry's wild youth of drink, drugs and naked partying to his current split from the family and new life in America, the Queen remained above it all, untainted by the actions of her bloodlines.
3: I think what made the Queen truly stand out among her very colorful family members was her unwavering dedication to her job. And that seemed to come before everything else. I mean, of course, we were never privy to private conversations. And I'm sure there was some very stern dressing downs at times, but it seemed she's really been the ultimate matriarch, both within her own family, trying to kind of keep everyone on the right track. And a matriarch really to an entire nation, too. When it
4: comes to decisions like Megxit or Prince Andrew, even Princess Diana, the decisions she made, they weren't necessarily, well, Prince Andrew wants to stay a senior member of the royal family, so I'm just going to give that to him because he is my favorite child. Never in a million years. Every decision she makes is solely around the future of the monarchy,
3: how it will affect the future of the monarchy. I think in terms of leading her family, she really simply tried to lead by example, showing her family how dedication, responsibility, and self-control would steer a very steady ship for the future of the monarchy. Whether those family members have heeded that advice or even been able to heed that advice is another matter.
4: I think that we did not judge her negatively because we understood that she had the most difficult job in the world. And likely the choices she was making and likely these tough decisions she made were truly to protect the institution.
0: Protecting the institution, this was a lesson Elizabeth learned from her errant uncle Edward VIII. If ever a king did not protect the institution... It was him. Edward not only put his own interests above his duty to the nation, he very nearly sold the monarchy itself to Hitler's Nazi Germany. Here's executive editor of the RoyalObserver.com, Jacqueline Roth.
4: I think the queen was really affected by the abdication of Edward VIII. She saw at a very impressionable age what it did to the nation at a really precarious moment in its history, and just how hard her father had to struggle to manage the fallout from that.
1: It didn't matter. What Elizabeth II wanted. It mattered then what the crown needed to survive. And that's her duty. That is her story. And that's the only story that we have that we can cling to and understand what was the driving force behind Elizabeth II. And that's why we will never have another one like her. The storm that surrounded her young life, the crown which didn't come crashing down but was reinvented it was smelted and reforged and placed upon her father's head and then when he went it was then remade and placed upon her head with the story of how it got there that shaped that woman that is the clear moment that we can pinpoint and say forever the crown Was changed.
0: It may also explain why, even in her 90s, there was never any question of Elizabeth giving up the throne for Charles.
1: This is the thing the British public, we don't expect, we're not continental monarchies we're not these popes that, oh, I'm going to retire, I'm tired. There was a meme that uh, when, a few years ago, it had showed Queen Beatrice of the Netherlands saying, I'm tired, I'm abdicating. And then it showed another European monarch saying, I'm tired, I'm abdicating. And then there was the pope saying, oh, I'm tired, I'm abdicating. And then it had Elizabeth II saying, you're all old and tired, I'm queen of the world. (laughs) So, and That's what we expect of the British monarchs. They've always gone until their last breath. And that's what made the Queen's uncle so different. He was the only one to willingly give up the throne, to shed the crown, to say, right, I'm done. I'm abdicating of my own free will. And that was never done. And that really affected her majesty when she was a child and seeing how that killed her father and the resentment that grew within the queen and that's why she always took her duty to the next level it was paramount abdication slowing down not doing your duty as you've been entrusted by your country and your people that is a nasty word however you put it That was never in Her Majesty's vocabulary, and she showed that to us every day, every year, every jubilee, every milestone in her career and tenure as sovereign, that her whole life, long or short, is dedicated to our service.
0: If this determination to serve the country and to protect the institution was forged from the chaos of Edward VIII's abdication... Elizabeth found much of the strength to do so in her husband of 73 years, Prince Philip. He is author Sally Otness.
2: So,
5: the Queen married Prince Philip in 1947, when she was 21, and that love story was very appealing because he was very handsome and he was a distant relative and also royal. So there was a lot of Prince and princessy appeal of that couple. And those kinds of stories tend to transcend national boundaries. So they became famous as this kind of glamorous couple.
0: They were more than just a glamorous couple. A dynamic man and war hero who had served as first lieutenant in the Royal Navy fighting in the Indian Ocean, the Mediterranean and the Pacific. Philip also put aside his own ambitions in order to serve the monarchy, acting as the Queen's consort until his death in 2021. And losing him affected Elizabeth hugely.
1: We saw upon the death of His Royal Highness Prince Philip the Duke of Edinburgh a very big change in Her Majesty. We we saw that she wasn't spry anymore. We saw a little bit of that light in her eyes dim
3: It's a very lonely job as monarch, and the Queen famously lent on Philip as needed, and I think those final years, months, were very difficult for her being
1: solo. Of course, they always say when older people lose their spouse, it's not long thereafter that we lose them as well. And yes, things changed after Prince Philip's death. She slowed down. Her own ailments came out through her grief to the point where she had to rein in, uh, pardon the pun, but stop some of these uh, outings and appearances because of her own mobility issues, her own health, which really did play up. Her grief at that time, even though we couldn't see it, we knew it was there.
4: I think it was a huge blow to the Queen, and especially coming in the midst of the pandemic. We saw the pictures from the funeral of her just sitting alone, and for the first time, I think she looked very frail.
0: Elizabeth may have looked frail, but as Thomas Mace Archer Mills points out, she was not about to give up just yet.
1: And that's where she actually triumphed. She didn't just wither away soon after Prince Philip left us. She left us actually quite a bit longer than what I personally thought she would hang on for. And it's due to that duty. It's that constant duty that she will be remembered for. And a reminder, I think, to all of us of what is so important in how we serve and we treat others, but also taking time for ourselves and processing things that help us and actually elongate our own lives.
0: If Queen Elizabeth II will be remembered for her life of constant, selfless duty to the nation and to the crown, she will also be celebrated for other reasons.
5: So, if you think about the fact that there are over seven billion people on this planet at this point, there aren't that many people for whom the majority of those 7 billion people would be able to recognize the name or perhaps even the face. So her impact really has been, was in life to unite a bit of the globe under the Commonwealth, but just Britain in general, British interests, and also as just a sort of mythic figure of duty. I mean, when I say mythic figure, it's because a lot of people don't really know that much about her, so there's kind of been, there were kind of myths built up around her about how she, you know, gave her entire life to her country.
0: For Sally Otness, Elizabeth became a symbol of Britishness itself.
5: This is what I kind of mean when I say the Queen is the quintessential Brit. She has a reticence about her, a sense of privacy that is very sort of um, ingrained into the British personality, but on the other hand, she also has that wit. So she kind of represents both sides of the British paradoxical personality, right? The, the people who are very close and you know, mustn't grumble. That's what they say. They think like mustn't grumble and keep calm and carry on and all these kinds of things. And on the other hand, they have these phrases called having a laugh and, you know, this kind of thing. And she loves to do that, too. So that's both sides of the British personality.
0: It was fitting that, as a lifelong head of state and figurehead for the nation, the Queen should have embodied those quintessentially British values. There's the famous British Reserve.
4: We know so little about her and in that we love her because there's nothing for us to disagree with her on, except unless you're maybe a a Meghan Markle fan. And that's really all I can think of, anybody that disagrees with her. I know there are some people that genuinely are not interested in the royal family, but I don't think anybody has issue with Queen Elizabeth because she limits our access to her, which I think is very smart.
0: But also the uniquely British sense of humor.
5: I think she's known as a stoic, steadfast figure who has done her duty, but also... Miraculously, for someone who one might think that's a stuffy individual, was also able to help Britain and the British people have a laugh, laugh at themselves. You know, the famous jumping out of the helicopter, even though it wasn't her, it was a dummy, at the Olympic ceremony. Uh, And then the more recent sort of um, little skit she did with the Paddington Bear for her anniversary shows that she is in on the joke that she gets that the British people are at their core, people who will do their duty, will stand up to what they need to do, but also are able to have a giggle, enjoy each other's cultural moments. And I think uh, that the combination of being this sort of warrior for Britain, soldier for Britain in her art, but also a wag, if you will, is endearing.
0: Stuart Pearce, whose father worked for the Queen and Duke of Edinburgh, and who himself later worked for and became a friend of Princess Diana, has known the Queen personally. He shares with us a deeply touching story of a side of Elizabeth most people. Never got to see.
2: Personally, that you know, I was interwoven with the whole substance of monarchy because my parents worked for them, and so I was brought up. The Queen was my surrogate mother, so to speak, more symbolically than literally. But there were occasions when I was very involved with the Queen, and you know, as a child, and she was extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary, but was a great benefactress over the family and of course my own family quite early on went through deep, deep, deep trauma because my father worked for the Duke of Edinburgh and they were the same age and my father died when he was 55, shooting with the Duke of Edinburgh in Scotland, shooting grouse out of the sky. So there was huge trauma around his death and both the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh were in absolute support.
0: Stuart relates how both the Queen and Prince Philip's actions after his father's death went far beyond that of simply former employers.
2: They both came to the funeral. They wrote the most extraordinary letters to my mother. And they continued all the way through for the next three or four years until her early death. They continued supporting. And then when she was dead, my mother, uh, I was asked if I would like to stay on grace and favour in the house that my mother was given, because obviously she had moved out of the residence that she shared with my father, because it was very close to Buckingham Palace, and she moved into another residence, which is slightly further away. I was asked if I would like to stay there. My choice was to leave and to get on with my life. But the generosity, in other words, was the generosity of a great mother.
0: But now, with the passing of the Queen, comes a new era and for the first time since 1952, a new monarch on the throne. Alois Parker explains how, even before any official coronation takes place, the heir becomes king the moment the old monarch dies. It has been a foundation of the British monarchy for 1,000 years. The queen is dead. Long live the king.
3: We're looking at a new era with a monarch who is already in his 70s he's already a fully formed human being with his own proclivities and weaknesses and strengths the queen you have to remember was only in her 20s when she took the throne and i think her personality was really very much molded by that ascension to the throne and by the weight of responsibility of course seeing people take the throne at a much later age You're seeing very different kinds of people who already have had a lifetime of other experiences, and it's got to be a much more difficult adjustment.
0: How will Charles adjust to being king after waiting his whole life to wear the crown?
3: I think for Charles, we find um, this extraordinary circumstance where he's almost never been more prepared for the job. He's been the longest waiting heir to the throne in history. And in that sense, he's been able to work incredibly close with his mother and see everything that being the monarch of the UK involves. On the other hand, he's in his seventies. He's already bound to be slowing down a little bit. And it's an enormous lifestyle change uh, for someone at that age. So, you know, I hope that the palace machine will make the transition as easy as possible for him. He certainly knows what the job involves, having witnessed it so closely. But the reality of that, I'm sure, will be very different.
0: But as with any new job, following a legend is never easy. The worry is that for Charles, it could prove impossible.
3: It's impossible to say whether Charles is going to be held in the same esteem as the Queen at this point. Of course, she had many decades in which to build her brand, as it were, and really prove her worth to the nation. Charles is gonna have his work cut out, certainly. I think the most difficult thing for Charles is going to be finding his own character as a monarch that complements his mother without trying to follow in those impossible-to-follow footsteps.
0: Sally Otnis believes that Charles, far from being the stoic, steadfast, keep calm and carry on presence that his mother was, will seek to become remembered as a modernizing king.
5: So one can imagine there will be changes. And the word on the street that you kind of have to assume Prince Charles has sanctioned is that the monarchy is going to be, quote, modernized and that it's going to be shrunk. So in the old days, in the 70s and 60s, there were lots and lots of royal family relatives on the sort of royal family payroll, what they called the civil list, which they don't even have anymore. Still, plenty of money is being allocated to different people. But the sort of word on the street is that Prince Charles is going to simplify the monarchy. Whatever else happens beyond that, I have no clue.
0: Thomas Mace Archer Mills believes this could be a mistake.
1: And with wanting to streamline the royal family and remove people, this is where I question the king. And I I say to myself, if the king wants to cut back on the members of the family, then we're not going to, as an institution, reach as many people every year as we used to. The royal family is there, the king is there, the the monarchy is there because the people allow it to be. But it has to be seen to be believed, as Her Majesty said when she was alive. People need to interact with the crown. People need to see it. And this is where I fear that the king, in wanting to do the right thing, in removing for financial responsibility the burden on the crown and the crown estate it actually has an adverse effect and could really show a dip in popularity if the monarchy is not in front of the people as it was for the last 70 plus years under Elizabeth II. You have to have someone representing the crown in the communities for the people to feel close to it. Because if they feel alienated, they feel that they're not wanted or represented by it, the question will come. Why do we need it? Should we get rid of it?
5: I've also heard and we don't know if this is true, so I, I hesitate to speculate. But what's his coronation going to look like? I mean, there. on the one hand, he's waited an awful long time to be crowned. On the other hand, simplifying the monarchy wouldn't seem to go along with a multi-million dollar ceremony. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see.
0: Charles also inherits a unique set of problems. Namely, what to do about his immensely unpopular younger brother and his rebellious youngest son.
4: I think behind the scenes a lot of preparation has gone into what happens towards the death of Queen Elizabeth. I do think we're going to see a unified front but from Prince Charles, Camilla, Prince William and Catherine. Perhaps Edward and Sophie.
0: A unified family then but only part of the family unified
1: the king has a job that i do not envy that the world will not envy and when you look at his children his second born in particular his hands are going to be full we've seen books we've seen interviews but i don't think we've seen the tip of the iceberg and the king i feel for that man the loss of his mother having to lose any sort of partiality he had as Prince of Wales having to cut back on his charities and the things that actually made him happy what he's dreaded his entire life has now come to pass this man is now King this man has now got to change everything he has known his entire life but more so he's now having to change the chemistry and the equation of his family and how he's going to interact with this bunch of people.
0: Kinsey Schofield certainly doesn't believe there's a way back for Prince Andrew, for one. What will
4: become of Andrew, I think, is isolation. I think Prince Andrew will be forced into the darkness. I don't think Prince Charles is going to allow him anywhere near anything royal related. And quite frankly, I think he deserves that.
0: And if Andrew doesn't like it, well, tough luck. Now his big brother is king, and Andrew's just going to have to deal with it.
1: The sovereign is not just the monarch. The sovereign is head of the family. And what the head of the family says goes. And in Prince Charles's case, as our new king, what he says is paramount. And be damned, any one of his relatives that go against him, because that's it. If you're not going to do what needs to be done, you're not going to listen to me, you're done. We don't need you. The king wants to slimline the royal family. He wants less members. He wants to get away from scandal. So if the Duke of York has made some sort of agreement with him to go on his way, but maybe wants to secure something for his daughters, Princesses Eugenie and Beatrice, he might do that. But it doesn't matter what anybody wants. What he says is what they will get.
0: Prince Harry may be a little more difficult, though, to deal with.
4: I am at a loss at what happens with Prince Harry now that Queen Elizabeth is gone, because I do really feel like Queen Elizabeth was the champion of reconciliation. Prince Charles seems to be overwhelmed, intimidated, and I don't know, just not invested in figuring out the Prince Harry situation. And it does seem to be Queen Elizabeth that was trying to pull him back into the fold.
1: This is going to be quite something. It will continue to be explosive. It will continue to cause ripples in the royal family. And it will continue to cause the king and the the queen consort agony because all they did was try to do right by him to embrace him to show him the way and prince harry he's his own man he always has been he's not william he is very very much his own person and he won't be told how to live his life and if he needs to destroy lives along the way to find his happiness we've already seen him do that
0: Thomas Mace, Archer Mills, believes that if Harry wants a fight, it's a fight that he, like Andrew, can only lose. As we have seen throughout this series, and down through the centuries, one way or another, the firm
1: always comes out on top. If he continues on that course to find happiness in destroying others, and now chipping away at the very institution of which his father is the head we will see the crown come down on him like a ton of bricks. If you thought Edward VIII was taken away and moved to the side as quick as anybody could have been, we've not seen anything yet. The crown will definitely put Harry in his place because there's not much more that his father can do to save him when the men in grey decide he's a liability to the survival of the institution itself.
0: The eventual fights of Prince Andrew and Harry and even of the new King Charles, remain undetermined and perhaps, for the moment, unimportant. Right now, a nation grieves.
4: I think that the country is mourning. We're devastated. Um, This woman was remarkable and I don't think we'll ever see anybody else like Queen Elizabeth II.
2: We can't configure, do you see, there is going to be a collective nervous breakdown in the United Kingdom and probably around the world, like unto which we saw with Diana 25 years ago. It's going to be absolutely huge because it's almost as though, you know, when we plug into the Queen, we plug into a light socket. And if that life is extinguished, we have nothing to plug into. And that's what the collective nervous breakdown is.
1: And I think um, things like this, when it comes time to paying respects and and showing respect for a life well lived in public service and duty for over 70 years, the British public stop and they think about that and they recognise that and if there's anything about the British, they come together in respect. The
0: extraordinary sense of loss will not only be felt in Britain, but around the whole world.
5: I would say that One of the significances of the Queen's death is that she will be one of the people in the world that most people in the world actually know about and many people revered. A lot of people are going to feel that very keenly because that's kind of a loss to our common humanity, our common human experience.
3: Collective grief of this scale is a truly extraordinary thing to witness you have a figure who has been almost a family member in an extended way to an enormous portion of the British public. And that loss is going to be felt in every corner, not just of Great Britain, but also the Commonwealth.
5: So the big common kind of experience is going to be that we all knew her or thought we knew her, and that many people, revered her and respected her and loved her and looked up to her and mourned with her when Prince Philip died and celebrated with her when things happened in her family when children got married and grandchildren and great-grandchildren were born. So they used to talk about uh, Queen Victoria as being the grandmother of Europe because she, so many of her children married monarchs and they populated the thrones of Europe. But Queen Elizabeth can sort of be thought of as the grandmother of the world.
3: It's truly extraordinary to think about how this is going to be processed. It's going to be quite a long road to healing, I think, for much of the nation. It's not just the end of an extraordinary life. It truly is the end of an era of Great Britain.
0: The death of Elizabeth II is a momentous loss for the British monarchy but it will not be the end of an institution. The monarchy will prevail, it will endure, it will continue, just as it always has done. One of the things that seems to be part and parcel of our history is the fact that the monarchy goes back over a thousand years. Basically, I'd say part of Britain's DNA and I think it will always be with us. As for what the future will bring under Charles and then William and then George, Only time will tell.
2: The royal family is changing, uh, hopefully for the better. And uh, it's going to be a whole new monarchy, a whole new king, and a whole new outlook. So things are changing.
0: This has been a very special edition of The Firm, Blood, Lies and Royal Succession. I've been your host and executive producer, Dylan Howard. Thank you for listening. The Queen is dead. Long live the King.
5: We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. But for now, I send my thanks and warmest good wishes to you all.